Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Pressing Journal. I'm Ryan Crail. Today I'm joined by Callum Law, Danny Law, and Sean Wallace. How are we, people? Not Very well, bad, thank you. Thanks. I'm good, thank you. So, plenty to discuss this week. The fixtures for the weekend have changed. Um, what about what we say, like 16 hours before recording? So we've we've, we've had enough time to adjust. So got quite a lot of Scottish Cup uh, to discuss, um, but we'll obviously reflect on the weekend just past games. Aberdeen winning at St Johnston, Kilmarnock 2, Ross County 2, Cali Thistle drew away at Queen the South as well, plus the, the other teams in action in the lower leagues. But yeah, first we'll discuss the Dons trip to McDermott Park. Ended 1-0 to Aberdeen. It looked, Sean, like they were under the cosh early on a little bit. They seemed to be a change at halftime in an attempt to um, get them further up the pitch, get them uh, create more chances, and they eventually paid dividends with the goal they scored. But um, didn't look the most comfortable afternoon. No, no, it certainly wasn't. I mean, the, the first half was terrible. From Aberdeen, they were far too ponderous. There was no no forward impetus. There was no momentum, no spark. And it was absolutely no surprise when it was goalless at half time. Yeah, I mean, you could see what Paul Sheeran was trying to get Aberdeen to do and playing out from the back, but the build, it was just too slow in the build up. Uh, he made the switch at half time, took off Florian Camberry, who, yet again, didn't seem to offer much up front. There was no threat. He took on uh, Fraser Hornby. He, he missed. A clear opportunity, be at least brought a bit more threat up front in this higher press, and it paid off with a goal. I mean, it was a great goal, fantastic ball into the the path of the on running Johnny Hayes, and he took it well. But like you said, Ryan, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the most comfortable of afternoons because St Johnston had a couple of good chances. I mean, Sean Rooney was. He, his header hit the post and Joe Lewis at the 89th minute had to pull off a fantastic save to deny Ali McCann but the job done I mean they got the three points I mean Stephen Glass comes in this week in a, a squad a wee bit buoyant by back to back wins so I mean positives but they're going to have to play a lot better than that if they're going to salvage a season and even think about pushing for a third. You wonder if Aberdeen were intimidated slightly by um, the quite severe skinhead that Sean Rooney has adopted. <laughs> um, just just in that first half, you kind of mentioned the fact that they played quite a lot in their own half. It was quite slow and sluggish. And I noticed that despite having 60% of the possession in the first half, I think 40% of the play took place in Aberdeen's third of the pitch. So that just kind of shows you how much um, uh, mucking about, just almost said the wrong word there, mucking about at the back they were doing with the ball. Um, in terms of Kambiri, what do you think What do you think is going on with him? Because that's a couple of times now he's played and not looked really... I don't know, up for it? Is that is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say so. It just it just looks a bit off a pace at the moment. He's, he's not linking up well. He's not causing a threat. And it's, it's as if his form's dropped considerably since he came in. I mean, he, when he first came in, I thought, oh, here we go. He could be like a, a strong loan signing. And there was so much like, positives in his early play. But they seem to have evaporated recently. And it's quite bizarre that he came in short of match sharpness and looked better than he does now that he's got eight starts under his belt. And I, I personally, I can't see how you can start Camberry against Livingston in the Cup. It's got to be Hornby or Hendry for me. Well, I think, I mean, the, the, worrying, the worrying stat from from Camberry's perspective and from Aberdeen's perspective and one we kind of all know really but in the last eight games that Aberdeen have been involved in no more than one goal has been scored in those matches we've had two nil nils and I think six one nils either for or against Aberdeen I mean that's kind of incredible to have such 
um, an abundance of low-scoring matches um, to be involved in. I mean, it's been the complete antithesis of Kevin Keegan's Newcastle. And if we if we'll score four, um, if they score three, we'll score four. Ideology. Um, it's just. I mean, it's not been vintage on the park, and obviously, I mean Aberdeen St Johnston games have um, in in recent times have never been classic. So it was no surprise that. The game at the weekend uh, wasn't uh, wasn't a vintage one either, um, but I mean that's the that's going to be the the big task for Stephen Glass coming in, and particularly Alan Russell um, to try and bring a bit bit more threat. I mean, I was pleased that um, that we saw players like Johnny Hayes and you know, Matty Kennedy pushed further forward. I think they've had to do a bit of a graveyard shift for much of this season, being deployed kind of far too defensively um, and it's meant that Aberdeen's lacked quite a bit of wood this season in being able to get those players into the attacking third um, but it'll be interesting to see the approach um, and, and how things differ because we've seen a slight adjustment under Paul Sheeran but I would think that even though it's just a few games left of the season and you're not expecting a new manager to come in and tinker too much with the team but we have to address this problems that they have in creating chances for the forwards because I mean although that we've Said that Kimberi's, you know, looked looked sluggish and, and struggled to get going. Um, aside from that, the first couple of games that are promising. I mean, he he obviously hasn't been missing a, a massive amount of chances either because he's not getting that much of the ball to to kind of show what he can do. And I guess I mean for him as well, he he's probably as frustrated as anyone else. I think to pick up on what you the pair of you or the three of you actually have said about Kimberi, I think if you look at his spell. At Aberdeen to date, that probably tells us why he's uh, playing for Aberdeen at the moment rather than perhaps at an even higher level because there's no doubt on his day when he's at his best, he's an excellent forward. But it, you know, we see you see it what to be honest, you see it once in a blue moon, and that's why he probably hasn't gone on and hit the heights that were maybe and maybe still are expected of him in his career and that's probably again why Aberdeen were able to to get him on loan in January because he wasn't doing it at St Gallen and unfortunately for the Dons he hasn't quite been been able to do it for them yet either I think it's interesting um, with Stephen Glass and Alan Russell coming in we've heard a lot since Derek McInnes was sacked about entertaining football and attractive football. And having watched Aberdeen against Dundee United at Tannadice, against Dumbarton in the Scottish Cup, and then watching again on Saturday in this, trying to play out from the back when it isn't always on. It's like, you, to me, you can play entertaining and attractive football without playing total football or Pep Guardiola football or Barcelona football, whatever you want to call it. Because to to my mind, entertaining attractive football is getting your, it's obviously scoring goals, but it comes from getting your potent attacking players uh, on the ball in the right areas. And too often when Aberdeen have been trying to play out, their attacking players are getting the ball in their own half or 40 or 50, 40 yards from goal where they can't have a big enough impact on the game. You need to get them on the ball in the final third. And I think for uh, Messers, Glass and Russell, that's a, a problem they'll have to, to solve, well, ideally in the next few weeks, but certainly next season when they're uh, in their first full season in charge. The thing that, <clears throat> that I liked was after the St Johnston game when Joe Lewis was doing his uh, post match and talking to the press, he said that he'd had conversations with Stephen Glass and that uh, although they hadn't went into a lot of detail, Glass had said that he wants to bring attacking, free flowing football and goals. Which, when I heard Joe say that, it was like music to my ears after watching. I don't know how many nil-nil draws this season. And I'm sure it'll be music to the ears of Aberdeen fans. It's all very well playing attacking, free-flowing football, but it has to be an end product of wins at the at the end of it. 
when we hear from Stephen Glass, uh, he's expected to speak for, to, to the media for the first time directly uh, later this week. Is that what we're expecting here? Just him reiterating what he'd already said in his sort of announcement interview that he'd done with the club that you know he wants to he wants to have consistent success, silverware, and play that that brand of football. Is that is that what we expect him to just say again, reinforce? Definitely. When I mean, when Derek McInnes came to the club, he was talking about trying to get the Aberdeen fans to fall back in love with uh, with the Dons again. And I imagine that Stephen Glass will be along the similar sort of lines because, I mean, although the fans haven't been able to go to games recently, there's definitely been a real uh, dip in enthusiasm for watching Aberdeen because the performances haven't been great over the last, um, I guess, I mean, almost a couple of seasons now. Um, so, um, I mean, that's why there's... Um, he's been talking so much about trying to bring attacking football, and um, and I think that'll be that'll be the vision. I mean, obviously, we all know that um, you know at the start, managers can have a tendency to talk about what their what their aims are and their objectives. I mean, I do think that there is a real um, push and vow to kind of create a brand of football on the pitch that fans will want to go and watch. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that gets to fruition. Obviously, it's the challenge for Stephen Glass is going to be to stand by those principles. If say he, you know, starts with a, a couple of defeats or starts a new season with two or three defeats, and um, and then you know there'll be the, the pressure on to you know shop shop and, and start playing the ball more direct. And um, so, but if they get off to a winning start, a good start, then. Um, then yeah, it might be might be a very entertaining entertaining season coming up for the Aberdeen support. I think his challenge is to create a buzz around the team again amongst the supporters because it's more than a year now since supporters have seen their side, and during that year they've done nothing to really grab their attention, and there can be that disconnect when you're just watching them remotely on a laptop. So he needs to get that excitement back, get that sort of buzz. And he's got four Premiership games to do it. He's got, hopefully, a decent Scottish Cup run. And so I expect him to come in and deliver an exciting proposal for the future because not only does he have to create this buzz before the end of the season, he's got to create a buzz going through the summer to to drive the season ticket sales because, I mean, that is a major factor for Aberdeen as well. They need to get fans buying season tickets and a lot of supporters that have already bought season tickets they've went a year without seeing their team and a lot of them pretty early on basically wrote that off as almost like a donation to the club to see them through like a tough COVID times but I don't think they're going to do that again they need to see something tangible for their investment. Sean you've mentioned quite a lot there about creating a buzz again in that for me in terms of actually creating that it's quite simple people get ex- I mean ways of playing to a certain degree maybe but people ultimately get excited by winning football so that's whether it's happens between now and the end of the season or whether it's next season it's winning foot it's winning football that will create an expectation and a buzz around Aberdeen again because that's all I've said it before and I'll go back to it that's ultimately why Stephen Glass is now the manager because Derek McInnes didn't win enough games this season I mean it's like okay the foot wasn't great to watch but if he'd won more games there's every chance he would still be in the job right now so to to me it's quite quite simple in that regard it's winning football that, that gets people interested Stephen Glass is in a, a good situation and normally when a, a new manager comes into a club after the sacking of a previous boss, they're entering a situation where the season's basically over. They're maybe fighting a relegation battle. But Stephen Glass comes in. Third spot is to outside chance, but it is still a chance they can get. They're in the Scottish Cup. They've got two home ties. One of the either Rangers or Celtic are going to be knocked out this weekend. So it's all there to play for. I mean, what a fantastic potential for a fantastic start to Glass's career. But he needs to get performances out of this squad. Performances which on the whole this season certainly haven't 
materialised. His uh, preparations were obviously rocked last night when it was uh, became clear that the game has actually been moved forward a day instead of taking place on Sunday afternoon on Premier Sports. It's now going to take place live on Premier Sports at half five on Saturday. Sean, first of all, how big an impact has that had in your weekend plans? Well, <coughs> Saturday night takeaway with Ant and Dex completely blown out of the water. That's Thank- finished. Thankfully, Sean, it's not on anymore, Sean. You're fine. <laughs> Is it not? <laughs> no. Call yourself a fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've just been watching Static on the TV then. So basically, basically the World Snooker then. Championships the- on. I, Come on, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> but um, <laughs> do, do, do we actually have any genuine complaints about this? I know. I know some people have said that essentially the whole fixture schedule has been dictated by Premier Sports wanting you know, wanting a, a better slot, I suppose, in relation to when Prince Philip's funeral is for the Rangers Celtic clash. So they've moved that to Sunday and they've, you know, they've moved back Aberdeen's game when they could have, you know, they, they could have just moved Rangers and Celtic um, later on the Saturday, I suppose. Can I do the complaining here? And I don't think it's, <laughs> I mean, okay, Aberdeen are playing Saturday night now, but I think the one team which has the most valid complaint by a long way is Montrose playing Kilmarnock at 11.45 on Saturday morning, having already been playing in the league on Thursday night. I just think it's totally ridiculous. And what, like, how it's come to that, I don't know. But again, to I mean, it has that look uh, between the SFA and Premier Sports, sort of rearranging the whole card to, to suit when they want the the Celtic and Rangers game to be shown. That's yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, it's the, I mean, it's he who kind of pays the piper, calls the tune, isn't it? And I mean, I, I think that Premier Sports had, um, I think, I think one of the big problems is that they had six um, Serie A games scheduled on the Sunday that they had to fit in, and um, and 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 it was the only, I think, it was the only gaps available to them if they were going to rearrange things were to play one of the games on late on the Saturday night and then one of them uh, during the afternoon on on the Sunday and I guess that perhaps um having a a Celtic Rangers match on late in the Saturday night maybe wasn't something that Police Scotland would have been too keen on um so that might have been the reason why uh, why things have been changed around but um I mean I mean Livingston I saw that their one of their uh, backroom staff was were complaining last night that saying that the clubs hadn't been consulted and that a lot of the training and nutrition plans and accommodation plans that they'd um, set up for Aberdeen were all out the window now that the game had been moved forward and they were very unhappy about that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, I guess it will have less of an impact on Aberdeen because they're playing at home. But I mean, for the other teams involved, it's um, particularly those that are playing away from home, including. I mean, Cali Thistle going to um, St Mirren on Friday night, um, and it will have will have ramifications for those sides in particular. Yeah, Callum's spot on. I mean, Montrose are the ones that got the end of the deal here. I mean, travelling to Kilmarnock for an away game in the morning is ridiculous. There needs to be some form of common sense here to accommodate the clubs and not put them. I mean, it gives them a, a hell of a mountain to climb before they even kick a ball, and they're up against a Premiership side. And I think Montour's not playing on Thursday night as well. Yes. Yeah. Shocking. Obviously, the real the real losers um, for the the changing of the the day for the the Aberdeen Livingston tie are the staff at Tony Macaroni Marshall Square. So thoughts to them <laughs> having a rota change at such short notice to accommodate the pre match meal. Um. Anyway, shall we move on then? We've got to discuss plenty other games and other teams so next up we'll talk about Kilmarnock 2 Ross County 2 as I've said in my notes for this um, I'm going to declare that Ross County will be a premiership team next season I was at Rugby Park on Saturday and despite the obvious issue with conceding soft goals under the high ball which they've done twice in 15 minutes either side of Michael Gardine's um, first equaliser for County. Um, apart from that, they were the better team. They controlled the midfield. They had the, the most attacking threat, especially down the right with Jason Naismith um, and the way he was linking up with, like I said, Billy Mackay and Jordan White. Um, 
that I thought County were pretty impressive in this one. Do you guys, you guys have seen the footage? What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it looked like you had um, a very entertaining game at Rugby Park. Had a, a bit of everything in it. Uh, some good goals, some drama, um, and and yeah, I mean, I think. I think it, when you're in the the bottom six, the most important thing is obviously to try and maximise the points at home, win your home games, and try and avoid defeat on the road. And in you know, Ross County, have done that. That was a, that was a, two more drop points for uh, for Kilmarnock, um, because for them for them to try and get out of their position, they really needed to win that game. But I mean, the 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 problem is that I mean, it's the problems at both ends for Ross County. I mean, they've got I mean, they've got the worst goal difference in the league. Um, they've scored the fewest goals, 28. They've got the joint worst record for conceding, uh, 61, alongside Hamilton. The next worst is Motherwell. Um, and that's been obviously, a, I mean, problems throughout the season. And, I mean, they're the only team in Scotland with um, the worst goal difference that isn't bottom of the league. So, I mean, they've done well to uh, be in the position that they're in. And I still think I agree with you, Ryan. I still think that it's there for them to to stay up. Their home games are going to be crucial against St Mirren and Hamilton. And if they win them, then I think they probably should be okay. Um, but, I mean, the, the form hasn't been great. Only one win in six since beating Celtic. Um, and they've saved their best performances this season for when they've came up against top six sides. Um, so now they've got to do it against the teams that are in and round about them. And that's been the trouble this season. But I still think that we're seeing enough in terms of performances, if not results, from County at the moment to be optimistic that they can finish um, out of certainly above the bottom spot, but away from that kind of dreaded playoff spot as well. The one thing you've got to say about Ross County, regardless of results, is they're always entertaining. I'll get, I'll give them that. Can it's there's usually action at both at both ends th- throughout anyway. But I, th- I think uh, Saturday was maybe in a way atypical of the, their season so far and that conceded goals that they realistically won't be happy with but also showed at the other end that they can be a threat with the players they have in the the forward areas so I mean they haven't lost they haven't can lost any ground on uh, Hamilton and Kilmarnock but they, I think if they're going to stay up as we've said for a lot of the season the need to cut out the, the the soft goals that they're conceding, the, the defensive mistakes. I think afterwards sorry, I think um I think afterwards John Hughes and the two players I spoke to were pretty pretty gutted actually, leaving Rugby Park with just the one point in the second half. Bar the last ten minutes where County noticeably tired. I mean Michael Gardine, he should have had another one in the first half. He had a sort of carbon copy chance of the one he scored where he put it wide and then the second half cut back from Harry Payton he somehow managed to scuff wide then Ross Draper missed <laughs> like a free header but just outside the six yard box and then Jordan White hits the post as well um, but it's all going to come down to I suppose how, how as you said Danny how they fare at home and the big game they've got coming up next is St Mirren which is next midweek that looks that looks like it's going to be a tough one, doesn't it? Because St Mirren are obviously like the best side in the bottom six. They almost got in the top six. It will be it, tough, it, but I mean, it's it's still a game that they can that they can win. And I mean, I guess I mean the the motivation for St Mirren. You know how how much is that going to be there for? I know that the teams like to finish best of the rest, but I mean, St Mirren obviously aren't aren't going to be looking over their shoulder in terms of getting dragged into like a relegation battle or anything like that. So. Um, so, I mean, obviously it can sometimes be easier to play when the pressure's off, but I still think that that's a game that's going to mean far more to Ross County. And that's why you would think that, you know, up at Dingwall and particularly in a midweek game, um, you would um, you would probably fancy Ross County to, um, to have a good chance of winning that one. I think that's going to be pivotal to it, that you're down in the bottom, scrapping for your survival. And St Mirren, they're, they're not going to get dragged into the allegation battle. So... When there's so much at stake, that could just give Ross County the edge when it comes down to it. So I, I fancy Ross County for a win against St Mirren. Carl, I'm, I'm wanting to I'm wanting to beat you here. Um, I don't I know think I know what's how much coming. of the highlights you've seen. If you've seen this particular instance, <laughs> so so 
if a player, let's say, let's say Kyle Lafferty, jumps and elbows an opponent um, that's behind him in the face, breaking that opponent's nose, I believe we're waiting for confirmation of that. I'm sure Jamie may have got that at Ross County Press this morning. Um, surely that's either a red because it's intentional violent conduct and he's, you know, he's meant to hurt his opponent or it's an accident, he's jumped with his arms up. Um, so it's either a red card or it's something you go, be a bit more careful next time you move on. So why does Willie Collin immediately pull out the yellow card to book Kyle Lafferty? Well, I'll, I'll give you my opi- opinion in a minute, but what you've laid out there, Ryan, in terms of the, what happened in Willie Collum's decision to hand out a yellow card, it's what I would call really a cop-out decision from a referee. You see a lot of them, the thing I would liken it to is you see a lot of the time where penalty claims in the box and the ball runs out and it might it's one of them where it could be a penalty but the ref sort of awards a corner even though it was pro- that's probably not the right decision as a sort of can, a lesser decision basically as a cop-out as I said and I think that's what Willie Collum reached on Saturday with giving a booking because to me I think it was I mean if you're elbowing somebody and breaking their nose or close to breaking their nose it's a it's a red card I think it's got got to be a red card but Willie Collum I'm clearly in a game of that magnitude as well I think referees are sort of keen not to to be seen as you know potentially having a decisive influence on the game in terms of sending a player off or something but I think you know if we, if Willie Collum thinks that's a foul and it's worthy of a booking then it should be a red card because as you said Ryan if if he thinks it's an accidental then I don't think Kyle Lafferty gets booked there so I think it was a sort of it's a kind of meet in the middle decision without which at the end of the day didn't really reach a satisfactory outcome or can give Ross County the, the man advantage that they that they deserved really on the basis of that incident. He, he sat on the fence. I mean, it's either one way or another. If he meant it, then it's a state red for violent, reckless conduct. And if he didn't, it's an accident. So it's not even a yellow. He's either off or there's no booking. You don't sit in the fence and cop out by giving him a yellow. It's got to be one clear decision. I mean, Colin was really close to the action, so he's seen it clearly. And Lafferty, he had a similar incident earlier on in the game when he jumped you know, led with his arms and caught Lacavetti in the face. So on the basis of that, you would think... He, it's a way that he jumps for the ball. So I would personally give him a red. I thought it was a sending off. It's funny as well, given that before the game, when John Hughes was uh, ranting about referees and the quality of the decisions, he actually said that the referee he wanted to you know, take on the big games was the experienced whistler, Willie Collum. Who, but I don't want to make a big issue of it because... John Hughes himself didn't want to make a big issue of it. So let's move across the Highlands. Well, not across the Highlands, but to the other Highland team, Cali Thistle, who drew 1-1 at Queen of the South at the weekend. Um, I won't ask the hilarious first question I was going to ask according to the notes, but I'll ask first of all, was um, is this a good result for Cali Thistle at this point in the season? Yes, it is a good result for Cali Thistle at this point of the season. Queen of the South, a direct rival for the promotion playoff spots as well, and they stopped them uh, getting closer to them. And if well, if Queens had won, they would have moved level on points. Win Vanessa, I believe. So to stop that from happening, leave Palmerston with a point is a good result. I mean, ideally they would have loved to have won, but I think uh, reading about the game as well, it seemed like maybe wasn't. A Cali Thistle performance that reached the heights we've seen in, in previous weeks, but I think given the schedule they've had and the amount of midweek games and things since Neil McCann came in, there was maybe it was maybe natural at some point there would have to be a slight drop in their level of performance, so to not play at their best and still 
pick up a point and keep themselves in fourth, I think is a very uh, satisfactory outcome for the, the Cali Jags on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a really va- valuable point. I still pretty optimistic that we'll see Cali Thistle in the playoff. They've obviously got the Scottish Cup game on Friday night against the Mirren first, but after that, it's I mean the huge game for them, Dundee at home, and then they've also got Hearts to play at Tynecastle. But I mean, Hearts have been crowned champions. Their their players' minds will already be on Portobello Beach, um, and then last game of the season, Air United at home. And I would think as well that's a game that you'd have to to fancy Cali Thistle to to win. Um, I mean, playing well, I'm beating an eight, and I think Scott Allen's made a huge difference as well. So. Um, no, I think it's a, it's a it's a good point for Cali Thistle going into kind of a crucial period for them. As I've also put my notes before Inverness next play, um, but this this championship games in midweek. There's championship games at the weekend. Obviously, they'll be distracted by Scottish Cup action. That could kind of change the look of the table a little bit before their next in action. Do they just have to ignore that and just focus on getting as many points as they can from their games and see what it takes them? I know I sound like a football manager saying that. <laughs> Again, the answer <laughs> to your question, Ryan, is is yes, because Inverness, you can't control what it, the bottom line is. You can't control what anybody else does. So, can other teams in action? You've just got to forget about that. Realistically, in my opinion, I mean, Danny mentioned the games they've got left. If Inverness, I think that all three of those games are very winnable for Inverness. And regardless of what anyone else does, I think if Inverness could win their remaining three league games, they'll be in the playoffs. So I think that's got to be their focus. In terms of the Scottish Cup, I don't even think you can say it's a distraction, really. Because, OK, they haven't got an easy route to it, but they're playing St Mirren, who you know have gone off the boil a wee bit in recent weeks on Friday night in the fourth round. And then the winner of that plays Kilmarnock and Montrose. So there's two ties there that I look at there's two ties there that I look at that I think are very winnable for Inverness. And that's a chance, you know, to get yourself into another a Scottish Cup semi-final again. So I don't think you can really say the Cup's a distraction either. I think it's a, that's a potentially great incentive for Inverness to try and get themselves into the latter stages and even have a, who knows, even have a shot at, at winning the thing. There's been a lot of talk uh, in recent weeks about Erling Brat Haaland's future. Um, obviously quite a sought-after marksman in Europe. Harry Kane this week appears he also wants to leave Tottenham in the summer, but who's third on the list? Nikolai Todorov? Because what a record he's got going at the moment. <laughs> could, could see that one coming a mile off, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> he's playing very yeah, well, I, though. He's playing very well. so telegraphed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I seen that at the end of the road before it even turned in. But like, to be fair though, Nik- Nikolai Todorov, did he give did he give us any signs of this? Maybe like maybe like a year ago, say like that they had this this run of form in him. I know at a certain point people were talking about while Todorov was in the squad that Cali Thistle didn't really have that striker you could rely on to score regular goals. But he seems to is this the Billy the Billy Dodds influence? I think I think one part of it as well is that. This is probably one of the most sort of regular run of games he's had since he joined Inverness. I mean, he has. Let's not forget, he has been used at points in his Inverness career at centre back. So, and sometimes even I think maybe wide left on occasions. And you can he's at times because of his sort of attributes, he's sort of been used. I think to you know plug a, especially when there's been injuries and things, sort of plug a gap wherever they need him, whereas in recent times he's started and led the line week in, week out. And I think Inverness have seen the the benefits of that. And even you mentioned Billy Dodds. I was Nikolai Todorov, I believe it was after a couple of his uh, super strikes against Morton last week, was speaking about how working with John Robertson as he has and then Neil McCann, who's a winger, and Billy Dodds, who can was an excellent striker in his day, how that's really, he feel, just that sort of speaking to them and almost individual coaching that he's had from them has helped him greatly. And I think Cali Thistle have seen seen the, the benefits of that in recent times. Okay. Nikolai Todorov there, reversed Dion Dublin all the way to the top of the game. 
Um, next up, we'll have to discuss uh, Peterhead, Cove Rangers, Elgin, and then we'll do a little bit of chat as well on uh, the unfolding scandal that is the Pyramid Playoffs. Okay, first of all, Callum, you were at Balmer at the weekend. Peterhead, nil, Park Thistle, three. Um, sounded like Peterhead maybe had chances to kind of get themselves in front, yeah. And but once once Park Thistle had their goal, was it was was that it for Peterhead? Uh, it's not a bad summation to be fair. It was certainly, I think, a, a game of two halves to use the cliche because the first half, being quite honest, you wouldn't have known who was the full time outfit and who was the part time outfit. Peterhead to dig. Decent early chance with Jordan Brown, who's a bit unlucky, it was deflected just wide. But that was kind of as good as it got in terms of clear-cut opportunities. And then Patrick scored just before half-time. But the second, Peterhead, well, they lost Ryan Conroy after the, the goal, which was a blow. But they also lost Simon Ferry at half-time. Uh, well, he was taken off as a precaution. He was desperate to carry on, but he was struggling a bit. And... His influence was uh, in terms of how they kept the ball and the control, the, or the lack of control they had in the second half was 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 sadly lacking. Really, it was the certainly. I mean, not to not that I would I said he was outstanding in the first half, but they certainly missed him in the second half, and it sort of they were never able to keep the ball after that with the sort of same purpose and control as they had in the first half and then they lost two really poor goals the second one Kieran Freeman sort of goes to I'm still not actually sure if he went to clear it first time or if he went to control it but he sort of slashed it anyway and parted going and scoring then the third one a Brian Graham header that Josh Ray knows himself he should really have saved and it sort of spun beyond him and then off the post and it kind of summed up there their second half really in their their day. I mean, as bad as the goals that they conceded were, I think the the problem for Peterhead actually in the main lies at the top end of the pitch since they've returned to action last month. They've scored just three times in six games. And I mean, last Tuesday night against Forfar, they created a load of chances, only took one of them and got a draw. They should have scored more. And on Saturday other than the the Jordan Brown chance I mentioned, it was a real, it was quite a struggle to really create decent opportunities. So I think that's perhaps the the worrying thing going going forward for Peterhead. But what's your sort of take on their chances of still making the top half before the split? Uh, it's quite difficult because of how tight the the table is. Re- I mean. Realistically, if they're to make the top half, they play East Fife on Saturday and then Falkirk next Tuesday. They probably need, they probably need four points from those two games, and even then, it might not be enough. So you might even be look, needing to win both those games. But I think at this stage, the focus is probably more on ensuring they don't get dragged into trouble at the bottom rather than worrying too much about getting in the top half. I mean, obviously, if you can get in the top half at the split, then you're you're safe. But uh, they're only now four points above Dumbarton in the relegation playoff spot. I mean, they are nine points clear of Forfar, but they've sort of changed manager as well. So you, I don't think you can totally discount them yet. So I think rather than focusing too much on the top half, sort of making sure they stay in the league's the, the main focus now for Peterhead. Brian Conroy finally on Peterhead. Is he is he likely to miss much football? I know he's kind of a a week in week out starter for them when available. Aye, uh, I think. Well, Jim McAnally said yesterday that uh, it was looking like it would be a couple of weeks. It's just it's not a, a full tear. I don't think, but it's just sort of tweaked his hamstring. So it's one of those things you can't really uh, rush, is it? But so it's looking like probably missing the next two games I would I would imagine. Uh as you said, he's can he's played I think when he's been available he started every game at left back and been arguably their player of the season potentially has been very solid. And the other thing I think they missed as well when he went off in the second half is his delivery from corners and free kicks 
is excellent and caught and did to be cause Partick a few problems in the first half. So from that aspect as well, when he's out, they'll, they'll miss him for for those dead balls. Peterhead can get a result against Falkirk. That'll obviously be a, a big help to their 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 neighbours, Cove Rangers, who beat Dumbarton one 0 at home at the weekend uh, via contested Rory McAllister goal. Be safe to say, could it would it have been cleared off the line or was it cleared off the line? Um, but Cove play Falkirk themselves and can do themselves a favour this weekend at the Balmoral Stadium. Um, that. Um, I would wager it's probably our our north game of the week. Danny, you you know better than me. Oh, it have have to be. It's an absolutely huge game. Um, obviously, Cove going into I think three points behind. Um, so you know, win win this one and it kind of sets up for a really exciting finale. I know that um, after the game at the weekend, Paul Hartley was kind of talking about Cove's focus just being on making sure that they make it into the split and ensuring that they are in those top five positions. But I mean they. They're, they're going to be in that spot. It's, I mean, it's is the case now. Whether I know he, Paul Hartley's been kind of reluctant to talk up their 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 aspirations of going up as as champions, which is understandable because you know they're up against full time teams that should really be um, finishing above them. Um, but I mean, not that many games to go now. They're in a fantastic position, and they'll be in an even better position if they can get a, a good result against. Against Falkirk and um, yeah, I mean you'd never you'd never write off Cove going and doing that, especially at their own place. I hasten to add that Paul Hartley was actually mistaken at the weekend. Um, if if he did say that they needed to just focus on securing the top half because they have already secured the top half because of I think East Fife and Airdrie both sort of fifth and sixth at the moment. I think they've got to play each other and they've only got two games left, so only one of them could possibly reach 28 points as things stand. Um, let's move on then. Um, Beath won Elgin nil. Elgin had obviously looked to have picked up and had a couple of good results um, after coming back a bit slowly from the, the restart. But um, yeah, a disappointing result, would be safe to say. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you would have expected them having won three on the spin and playing some, you know, Decent football, good result down at um, um, and in the, the the previous weekend. Um, that you would have expected them maybe to go to Cowdenbeath and you know get get a bit more out of the game, but um, performance wasn't great and um, and kind of dropped dropped valuable points. That if they'd managed to get a victory there, would have taken them to to second. But they've got Stenhouse Muir um, tonight, so they'll be looking to uh, to bounce back and then. Um, Albion Rovers at the weekend as well so I mean it's still coming to a crunch period for them I mean Queen's Park are, are too far away um, they, I mean they're I mean they're going to win the league um, but um, the, I mean I think that there's still a strong argument that Elgin City have been um, the second best team in this league this season and um, and they'll, they'll want to go and improve that over the closing run of games but I mean the most important thing is to make sure that they get into the playoffs because they deserve that because they've played well this season and um, and they they want to have that chance of um, of getting promotion. They just need to kind of string a few positive results together in the um, the next few games to make sure that happens. The Stenny game this evening and then the home game against Albion Rovers are kind of similar to the Cowden Beef game because they look like games that Elgin should be winning given their um, performances over the course of the season. Do you think it? Do you think it's two wins? Uh, they obviously need one win to get in the top half. Is that all they're all they're really going to be? Concerned about just securing securing that top half place and see what it takes them. Yeah, I mean, St- Stennis Muir have got a good squad of players. Um, I mean, they're a strong, um, a strong enough team. Um, so, I mean, that's that's not going to be a um, an easy game, especially especially down there. Um, I mean, Elgin at, at Borough Briggs, you really fancy them against anyone. Um, it's just picking points up on the road is um, is, is always the um, the bigger challenge in this league, um, particularly. I guess for for when games are taking play, place so quickly and through the week when you haven't do a lot of traveling and guys maybe having to balance work commitments with that is a bigger ask of players at this period in time so um so yeah I mean I think it's a bigger challenge to go and get um a positive result at Stennis Muir but definitely not beyond Elgin City. Okay our final our final thing we're going to discuss today is 
something that so a, a situation that developed at the end of last week. Um, the SPFL releasing a statement saying they couldn't announce a date for the the pyramid playoff games. I think specifically the the game between Brecon, who are going to finish bottom of league, league two, and the winner of the tie between Highland League champions Borough Rangers and Lonely Champions Kelly Hearts. And um, they said there were several issues they had to um, look into, and there'd be a meeting on the 19th to decide whether the Pyramid playoffs are going to go ahead. Um, obviously, last year, following the curtailment of the season because of COVID, Brora and Kelly, having been declared winners of their leagues, um, and let's be honest, both were going to win their leagues last season, they were denied the opportunity to compete in the playoffs. This this time around, obviously, less games have been played. I think Kelly played 13 league games, Brora played three, but... Both um, the Lowland League and the Highland League thought it was um, correct to declare them champions, to give them that chance. And they thought by using the word champions that that would guarantee they were able to compete in the Pyramid Playoffs. I'm I'm led to believe, based on William Powdy, the Brora chairman's comments in the Press and Journal today, that um, what, what is going on currently, um, this debate about the playoff, is nothing to do with the ownership of Brora's ground. That was reported in the, the national media. I believe he says that's all in order, all in order. So it should surely all come down to the SPFL having an issue with Brora or using it as an excuse. The fact that Brora and Kelty have played um, fewer than the amount of league games they were supposed to. Um, this strikes me as being pretty um, unfair on both Brora and Kelty, and very insular of the SPFL and an attempt, a cynical attempt to protect a break inside who have been poor for a couple of years now. Yeah? I'll disagree because uh, some information that I, was, uh, that I received yesterday afternoon, uh, Ryan, and I think okay. I'll come on to it, but the statement from the SPFL was very poor on the basis that it didn't properly communicate the reason for the delay, which I'm led to believe the reason for the delay is they're wanting to wait and see that the League 2 clubs will reach their 18 game. I know they're obviously wanting to play 22, but will reach the minimum 18 games. Because if, and I hope this doesn't happen, if there was a COVID outbreak at a club and they weren't then able to play, you could have a situation where the league programme isn't completed as they wish. Now, I believe if that did happen, playoffs would still or should still go ahead, but the that uh, that is apparently, I'm told, the reason for the delay is they want to wait and see that League Two will reach the eight, the eighteen games before they announce the playoff dates. Which you can say, and I can argue, it's can pretty poor in a sense, and that Broder and Kelty don't know what's happening. I wouldn't disagree with you there, but my issue would be with the state the actual statement as well. And that it doesn't really communicate at all any of the reasons for the delay yeah. and why they can't provide any certainty. And it does make it, the way it's come across makes it seem like they want to keep Broran and Kelty out on the basis of the number of games they played this season, which to me, as far as SPFL's concerned, shouldn't be a, an issue at all because they're at the end of the day, they've been declared champions. So I think that's issue. The other, the final thing I was going to say in the statement is burying it at the end of a release about Ken Ferguson stepping down from the SPFL board is a pretty poor look as well. It's almost like it was something they were wanting to hide when, I mean, to me, looking at it realistically, that should have been their main release was the news about the playoffs and then mentioning that Ken Ferguson had step, stepped down rather than the other way around. Why not just bring complete uh, clarity to it by confirming that they wanted 18 games played when they released the statement. Why is that got to be this smoke and mirrors which just creates like stress for the two clubs, uh, Kelty and Brora? I, I just don't it's, understand it's this, it. It's a several issues thing, isn't it? And that the, they, they said that, I mean, it, it just, I suppose, as, as I heard across the media on the weekend as well, that, that everyone's assumed that you know, they're trying to get out of it in a sense. They're trying to get out of giving the Highland 
champions and the Lowland champions a chance. But Callum said that isn't the case. So it, it, it strikes me as being a bit of a, a PR own goal from that perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, they've played 15 games already. There's only three to go. Why not just say, mention the 18 games? And like I said, it is a huge PR on goal because everyone is now assuming that it's a closed shop. I was going to say, maybe they don't. Maybe part of it is they don't want Ken. <laughs> they would rather try and shut them out. But um, from what I was told yesterday, I don't, I don't think that's the reason for this. And that is, as I said, the 18 games. So I just think the, the way it's come across, and especially after last year as well, and sort of Broda and Kelty being sort of given false hope with reconstruction and other things, I just think the way this has sort of rumbled on this year as well, it's just a bad, bad look for Scottish football, really. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the the big issues that's obviously cropping up as well is the fact that, I mean, there seems to be more and more talk about looking at a revised SPFL reconstruction plan, um, talk of potentially looking at a 12-team championship that would allow Celtic and Rangers Colts teams, again, that issue popping up again to join League Two. Um, so, I mean, the concern, I guess, would be that, um, that the Highland League and the Lowland League clubs potentially miss out on that opportunity or perhaps will be involved in reconstruction. There's talk about moving to a 12-12-12-12 a um, structure or 12-12-12-10. So um, I think that, I mean, that might be one of the issues that is potentially, um, you know, why 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 we're still waiting over the, the pyramid playoffs to get that certainty that, um, that, that we're expecting. But um, I think just now it's, it's really unclear, although the Brewer Rangers and Kelty have been given permission to start training again, I mean, they, they need to know what they're training for. It's, um, it seems very unfair at the moment on them. So that concludes this week's episode of Northern Goal. Thanks to Danny, Sean, Callum for joining me today. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Thanks, no, no bother. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can like and subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You can email northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. And we've got anything to ask us or want to berate us or whatever. Um, and finally... Joe, whatever football games you're streaming this week. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.